Beth, hello. Hello, David. Great to hear you again. It's great to hear you again too. And welcome to our Something to Declare listeners. We're really pleased to have you back uh, with us. We're uh, sorry that a combination of technical issues and uh, diary issues have meant that season two hasn't been available uh, this side of Christmas, but it is coming in the new year. We've got some brilliant guests. We're really excited uh, for that. Um, but we didn't want to leave people without, did we, Beth? So we've done a, an Advent special. Absolutely, we have. It's very yeah. exciting. We've gone stateside for this as well. So uh, that's also very exciting. Um, although we have tried to record this introduction to the Advent special now. I think this is our third attempt. It is I our think, third attempt. <laughs> I think David just likes having a chat with me, really. Um, and it's uh, just any, any excuse. Um, but we're um, so we're hoping this one really does work and we can really send it out into the ether. And uh, yeah, so um, so we're hoping we're hoping tech is our friend. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. I'm confident. Yes. Come on. Um, but Beth, you are nearly at the end of your first term of your new job. And I thought I might just ask you how that's been as we start today. Yeah, I mean, technically, term has ended. Wonderful. What is called ninth week uh, now. So term has eight weeks in Oxford. Um, although there is this week at the beginning of term called North week, which is, yeah, I was just saying before, wasn't I, that Oxford has its own language. Um, you have to learn um, when you get there. It's, it's very, uh, very strange and kind of endearing um, at best and slightly exclusive at worst, I think. Um, but it's um, so we have these eight week terms and they're incredibly intense um, for everybody, for the staff and the students. Um, and um, there's this point at about five o'clock of Friday of eighth week where you kind of watched everybody go, it's Friday of eighth week. But uh, <laughs> all my colleagues are doing admissions because obviously Oxford interviews their uh, potential students. Oh, yes. so they've got a lot of my colleagues are doing two weeks of intensive interviewing now. So I am freed from that particular pressure because they're all online. Um, so I am enjoying uh, having a day off and I've been and read a book in a coffee shop um, I'm trying to get my voice back, as you can probably tell. I'm a, a little bit huskier than normal. I sound like I've taken up smoking. I haven't. Oxford has not driven me to take up smoking. Uh, <laughs> but um, uh, it's just that it's not. I'm not even sick anymore. I've just I've used it up. I've done too much talking. <laughs> so here we go. We're um, just read some read a, read a book in a coffee shop. Recording a podcast with you. Going to go on a walk. Um, we're going to go, um, we have these Christmas lights in a, one of the local stately homes um, and some, somebody's very kindly given us some tickets for that. So we're going to go there and yeah, so we've got some plans of, of all these things that we're going to do um, and just feel all Christmassy in the middle of Advent. Although I've already done my carol services, so I very much feel like I am fully in Christmas mode. Like well, I've skipped Advent this year. Um, you know, I've sung Hark the Herald three times already. I'm... <laughs> I am fully on mince pies, Christmas jumpers stage of life. Wow. I'm, I'm very impressed and also, you know, slightly horrified. Um, <laughs> but, but I keep, I keep trying to persuade the church here, you know, the, the Christmas decorations go up on Christmas Eve. And, but then I remember that in my own house, they went up yesterday. So um, I'm not getting anywhere with any. Um, uh, and it was lovely. Um, to see you not that long ago in person on the 31st of October I because know. you came all the way to Shoebury Ness which was a joy so thank you for coming along it was good to see you 
It was very, very lovely to come. Um, I got invited by your church, who threw you a surprise party to say congratulations for being their minister for 10 years, um, which was really lovely. I just, I think, yeah, that they'd taken that care for you and uh, put that thought in. And um, for those of you who know David, uh, David's not really into kind of not being in control and having... <laughs> so they'd even taken care of that. So he got this note on the door saying like how uh, today is not going to be what you expected it to be, but that's okay. Um, and you're going to enjoy it, we promise. And like you get, you got given like a plan, didn't you? So that you didn't feel completely... Yeah. Uh, 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 ill at ease or with having lots of people surprising you and celebrating you yeah. but no it was great it was just great to come and be able to rejoice with you and the church and see all the things that had happened there they really are uh, a wonderful uh, bunch of people I'm very blessed to be part of the church here and it was great to say they've made so much effort and I had no idea it was happening and it was wonderful as well that for the sort of up post service uh, party we had uh, folks from other local churches and uh, friends from far away come and join us and it was very humbling and moving that people would go to that extent to, to celebrate uh, 10 years uh, here yeah it was like peak it was peak baptist actually wasn't it because you had like some local baptist ministers um you had somebody from like the local anglican church down the road and then um and then you had some friends from the kind of like national structures and i just thought and then obviously most of it was people from your locality and i just thought that was kind of baptist ministry in a nutshell like kind of these different links and things also i have to say absolute shout out to whoever did do the organizing for the fact they included not one but two bouncy castles because I'd, I'd warned my little boy that this was a party, but probably not like, you know, a kid's birthday party. And there might not be balloons and there might not be all the things that he would normally have at a birthday party. And he was like thinking of all the things that you would normally have at a birthday party. And I was like, no, well, there might be cake. Um, and there was, I mean, there was an abundance of cake. Like that, <laughs> that was like, I think you've stayed for 10 years because of the quality of the food, right? Absolutely was, right extraordinary and then we had um yeah yeah these bouncy castles and then they got given party bags on the way home and my little boy has never had a glow stick before and, <laughs> <laughs> and now we will never not be able to have glow sticks again because they were very very exciting um yeah no he just he just loved it that party bag was was the drive from Essex to Oxford sorted so big shout out to your youth and families worker thank you vicky <laughs> yeah they did it they did a superb superb job um, and then uh, i've been rejoicing this week as well because i've been moderating for another uh, local church in the borough who have been without a minister um for about 18 months uh, now which is not that long it seems to me in the settlement process these days um and this week uh or well, no is it last week this week Last week, we had a church meeting, 100% voted and, and the new ministers coming and uh, it's wonderful. And that's been great to rejoice with that church as well. So they're going to be they're going to be off my books um, in the not too distant future. So looking forward to celebrating uh, with them in a few weeks, too. 100%. Yeah. I don't know if I'm allowed to share that information. Am I allowed to share that information? <laughs> we oh, don't I've know done... who it is or the name of the church so i think no that's true and I, um, well you know it's not like it's bad news is it so um <laughs> that's good um so let's uh start to turn towards uh, our guest uh this week um 
Beth, I, it was a total joy for me to talk with Julie. Uh, Julie is the uh, lead pastor at First Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. Um, I first met Julie, well, I say met her, I heard her preach at Baptist Assembly in Blackpool. It was the year Pat Took became president and Jeff Lucas was there and Julie was one of the speakers. Um, and I kind of kept in touch with her since then and uh, had a great time uh, with Julie and their family and their church for a few days when I was on sabbatical in 2016 and then she came and spoke at our church weekend uh here in 2019 and that was a really special and moving time um for the church and that first baptist church has a, a significant history um but uh, there's all sorts of exciting things going on there there now and actually it is mentioned in the west wing for people who are thinking about such things and i know i'm not the only one um <laughs> but but I, I realized I've lost half the listeners now. Cards, you know that. Don't I know, I know. The West Wing. <laughs> it will. But for those people who do care about this, in the episode where Charlie's doing his tax return uh, and he's mentioned about all the charitable giving that he gives, he, he's given money to the First Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. And that is the church where Julie is the minister. In fact, when I went to Washington for a few days on sabbatical, I, I pretty much did, you know, the West Wing tour and uh, I, all these places you're walking around going, oh, that's in that episode. That's I'm taking all these random photos that even the tourists don't care about. But because it was some obscure reference deep in season four of the West Wing or something, it was a joy to to my spirit. Um, but as was this interview, and uh, I think the very best thing we should do now is to hand over to Julie. Absolutely. Well, Julie, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm really glad to be with you today, David. Really good to have you on our Something to Declare uh, podcast. Uh, thank you for being part of it. So this is one of our special international editions. This is Crossing the Pond. It's great to have a connection with uh DC via yourself. Um, <clears throat> I was recalling in my preparations for today where where we first met. And I think we first met in person in um, train station in, in DC, in Union Station. And uh, I remember having an artisan hot chocolate in said, I, it was very good, I remember. <laughs> it was quite lovely. <clears throat> um, but before that, I think you'd been over to our Baptist Union Assembly in Blackpool. I was. I was twenty eleven. Twenty eleven. Yes, that was. That was. I think Jeff Lucas spoke that year as well. He did indeed. And, uh, Pat took became president. I remember that assembly well. I remember. It was. Yes, it was. Uh, the it began on the day of the royal wedding. Yes, it did. Quite exciting. <laughs> yeah, yep. I remember driving up to Blackpool and stopping off at a service station. And uh, it was full of people watching the television. It was packed because everyone was there. Yeah. Absolutely. I'd forgotten about that. I'd forgotten about that. And, uh, and I remember you were preaching on the, the parable of the wheat and the weeds oh uh, from you Matthew 14. Well, I remember because um, it was a, a very helpful sermon uh, for me. And it sort of helped crystallize a lot of thinking I'd been doing at the time, I, I think, I'd either, yeah, I was at college or not long finished college and I was just still working out where I, what my place was in this mm. ministry sphere. Yeah. And uh, it was really helpful to me. I remember actually I went forward for prayer afterwards and I, I got there and a, uh, 
a friend of mine was on the prayer team and said, well, why are you here? You know, expecting me to be having an existential crisis or to be very upset. Or I said, I don't really know. I just, I just felt the need to mark the moment in some way. Um, and then I got to come and meet with you and the wonderful folks at First Baptist on my sabbatical. And what a kind, delightful group of people you are working with there. Oh, you well, you were completely um, a breath of fresh air for everyone. We loved hosting you. It was quite lovely. <clears throat> so, Julie, I know, you know, we're separated by the ocean and um, our lives in the UK and you in the US are, are different. But I wonder if we might begin by talking about what commonality there might be and what makes you a Baptist? Because that's a term we use all over the place. What what does that mean for you? Well, that's a great, great question. I, um, you know, when I, I I've been thinking about this <clears throat> this week, and um, I I think that the the question why I remain a Baptist um, is probably different than what made me first a Baptist. Um, but let me talk about why I remain a Baptist these days, okay. because, you know, in, in, uh, maybe it's, uh, this way in, in the UK, uh, but in, in the, in the U S Baptists, unfortunately are regarded as, uh, ultra conservative, racist, homophobic, patriarchal. And so it, it's often a bit of an uphill climb whenever mm. I meet someone new and they say, so what is it that you do? And, uh, you know, and at, when I um, get around, if I get around to the, the Baptist piece, which often I don't, it often doesn't really matter, um, you know, they often look a bit puzzled. But, um, but I will say that, that why I remain a Baptist um, there are several reasons, and they are these. So one, I value congregational discernment and the free church tradition that Baptists follow. Um, in the U.S., and maybe it's the same in the U.K., we call this autonomy of the local church. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that can be a messy, contentious way of being church, but it really does depend on the faithfulness uh, to God of each member of the body. And I, I, I love that. I value that. Um, I value the, the principle of the priesthood of all believers, uh, you know, through the saving work of Jesus Christ, every person has been given direct access to God. No one needs an intermediary to commune with God or to interpret scripture or to minister on uh, anyone's behalf. Uh, all, you know, all Christians are priests to one another. Um, I, I value the non-creedal way of being church um, and depending on the sufficiency of scripture with Christ as the lens for interpretation. I believe that is a helpful way, although, you know, I, I mean, I, I'll jump in there with the best of them when I hear the Apostles' Creed begin, you know, something in me warms. And there's so much in that, of course, that, you know, that I can affirm. Um, and yet Baptists have resisted um, uh you know uh, the imposition of a creed to define our faith, and I and I think there is some value in that. And then probably mostly these days, especially these days, I value um, Baptists' insistence on religious liberty for all 
people, for people of all faiths and people of no faith. Um, I, I, I still uh, remember, and I was doing a little work recently for a sermon and had good reason to recall that a very important message that uh, an influential Baptist pastor, George W. Truett, offered on the steps of the U.S. Capitol uh, in May of 1920, so 101 years ago. And he spoke about religious liberty to a crowd of some 5,000 people or 15,000 people there that day, as I recall. And one of the most famous lines from that speech was this. He said, God wants free worshipers and no other kind. And... um, I, I, you know, especially in the U.S. this right now when there are, are Christians who really would want to impose a Christian worldview on the nation, uh, it, it feels uh, very threatening to me. And so for that reason, uh, I really value the Baptists' uh, claim to uh, or commitment to religious liberty for all people. So those are a few of the reasons. Yeah, and I, I very much recognize the the picture that you you paint of how sometimes introducing oneself as a Baptist can be an uphill struggle. Yeah. I think that's starting to resonate here too in a way it hasn't necessarily yeah. done in, in the past. Yeah. Um, in my last church, our initials were SBC and we'd refer to ourselves internally as SBC and occasionally when we used to have this Baptist Times newspaper you'd open it and there'd be a headline SBC does something and I'd be like oh I didn't realize we were involved in this or that anyone had told the Baptist Times and it was always the Southern Baptist Convention oh, always yes, always um, but ha- for, for the uninitiated UK listener uh, such as myself um how how do we understand some of the the distinctions between all the different Baptist groups in the States? Because there's not a Baptist union equivalent in quite the same way, is there? I think there's more than a dozen different groups. Is that right? Well, so uh, um, Baylor University, which uh, is the largest Baptist university in the world, located in Waco, Texas, um, identifies 19 Baptist denominations in the U.S., Wow. Um, yes, it's, there's just so many. And uh, the church that I'm serving here in Washington, D.C. has had a history uh, for a very long time of identifying with with not just one, but several Baptist uh, groups in, Amer- in the United States. Um, five, if you include the Baptist World Alliance mm-hmm. and the District of Columbia Baptist Convention. But we, we belong to the Alliance of Baptists. American Baptist in the USA, and uh, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, which uh, actually broke away from the Southern Baptist Convention about 30 years ago. Um, uh, you know, Southern Baptist, as, as you were just mentioning, and I have, I, I still have some dear friends who uh, would uh, call themselves Southern Baptist, but sadly, Southern Baptists have grown um, more conservative and and have aligned themselves. And, and conservative is not bad. I, I'm not painting a bad picture of conservatism. I think there are some lovely gifts that come with uh, with a conservative um, uh, perspective. But Southern Baptists have aligned themselves in very public ways with the Republican Party in the United States, and mm-hmm. in, in ways that sometimes make them indistinguishable. And so um, I think that's been very, very unfortunate. 
So, so I would say that the Baptists in America, the, the, the groups, and this is going to be a wild generalization, but in many ways, um, our, the groups have split apart uh, and formed because either of uh, racism, really, or, or doctrinal differences. They're just shades of doctrinal differences all over the place. And if, you know, in the Baptist community, if you're not happy with the group you're with and they are either too liberal or too conservative, you break off and you form a new group. And that's sort of what has happened. Um, so, yeah. That's... Does that does that cause issues? Is there sort of underlying <laughs> tension between the groups or do people just get on with it? I mean, I... Oh, <laughs> so many issues. But, <laughs> okay. well, you know, I, I would say no. I mean, it's not a free for all because people are busy and, and yeah. people by and large are very immersed in their local um, congregations. And so there's not a, a whole lot of time for denominational squabbling, except I would say the exception being um, these days between the Southern Baptist Convention and um, particularly the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship or the Alliance of Baptists, the more progressive or liberal Baptist groups that, you know, the SBC, um, I mean, there, there's, there's a fair amount of um, squabble in the air, and, um, but, but otherwise not so much. Mm. So at the moment, you're at the First Baptist Church of the City of Washington, D.C. I hope I've got that yeah. right. And um, what's it like to be the minister of the church there? And, and what's it like to be a minister in, in D.C.? I imagine that's quite different to where you've been previously. Oh, it is. All of the churches where I have served are so very different. And um, we have served, Tim and I have served in uh, San Francisco and Waco, Texas, and um, Atlanta, Georgia, and now in Washington. So very different parts of the country and very different churches. Being in D.C., one of the former pastors of the church where I'm serving now said that that uh, being a pastor in D.C. is like trying to minister to a parade. Uh, <laughs> just always moving by and moving on. And although there are people, obviously, who have um, staked their lives here and have lived here forever. But um, but it's quite exciting. And, um, uh, you know, you, you tend to feel the uh, the events of the nation quite deeply, maybe more deeply than in other parts of the country. So, for instance, during the last administration of, of Donald Trump, when he was here, there were so many um, protests and demonstrations and groups from all over, not only the country, but the world, who were coming to Washington and make their voice known. And then, of course, during the tragic um, killing of George Floyd and and uh, Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and others but at, you know at the hands of the police and that just caused things to boil over in ways that I think none of us um, could have imagined and it was a welcome boiling over and long overdue but all that to say that when you're living right here um, in the middle of it all it can be quite exciting quite perplexing uh, quite troubling. You, you just feel it so deeply. You know, I, I was um, in a prayer vigil with, at a local church with clergy in the U.S. on the day of the insurrection at the Capitol that happened on January 6th of this year and just sort of watched it all begin to unfold before we all got in our 
cars and began heading home because it was not safe to be there. But, uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's our mm. backyard. And so it's, it's a very interesting place to be. It's a wonderful place to be a church. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> you know, it's a young city. People, uh, so many young people in their 20s and 30s who are coming to Washington to make a difference to, you know, they, they've graduated from university and the, they want to change the world. And so they show up in Washington and it's lovely to see the fire in their soul and the light in their eyes. And um, some of them stay, some of them move on, but it's very exciting. It really is. I love it. This is, um, I think that, that this church in particular is the church where I feel most free simply to be myself. And um, um, it's, it's a welcome thing. I'm very happy to be here. That's a real gift. That's a real gift. It is. And it was the street that the church is on, albeit the other end or you know, further, that was renamed, wasn't it? Um, Yes, yes. Yes. In the light of the protests with Black Lives Matter. Yes. Black Lives Matter Plaza is mm. now, I think it begins four blocks from our church. Our, our church is seven blocks north of the front door of the White House. Um, and so Black Lives Matter Plaza takes up a couple of blocks okay. um, uh, close to close to the White mm. House. And it's, it's wonderful. People come from all over to see it. Mm. <clears throat> and the church has been quite proactively engaged in in racial justice um, over the last few years. Is that right? Will you tell us a bit about that? We have, uh, and I would say quickly that we have a, a, a long way to go uh, in in this. But yes, we, we have been becoming more and more intentional about um, plunging in to that very important conversation, and particularly so because of the beginning of our church. Uh, our church is uh, 220 years old next year. Uh, we were formed in 1802. Thomas Jefferson was president when our church began. And of course, that feels very old to us, to you all. That's good. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but um, so our very first pastor who served for nearly 50 years was, in fact, an enslaver. And um, for uh, we, we know that he enslaved at least six uh, African Africans uh, and <clears throat> had them serve in his home. We know that he sold one uh, young African man down to the brutal cotton fields of uh, Louisiana. And this was just two years before he retired as our pastor. And of course that, you know, that, that, that's all in our history. And at some time, sorry, I have a, a little frog in my throat today. At some time, uh, of course, everyone knew about it. But then over time, that story uh, was told less and less frequently until it sort of passed into <clears throat> the, uh, the archives. Uh, and we rediscovered that story. And it's caused us to sit back and say, how do we, how do we, um, Oh, uh, how how do we make <clears throat> how do we make this right in the twenty first century? What do we say about this? What steps do we take to make amends for this? How do we repent of our 
past so that we can move on freely into our future with God. And so we're, we're still in the middle of grappling with that. Um, fortunately, we have a sister church, the 19th Street Baptist Church, and we at one time we were all one church. And uh, 19th Street Baptist Church, predominantly an African-American church, a historic church in our nation, but we, our two churches broke apart in 1839, and um, we are now coming back together to re-engage our history together and to tell it from a common perspective. And that's been fascinating. I'm really grateful about that. And you're um, the the home of the church, the the building itself um, is it's quite an impressive uh, sanctuary, isn't it? I mean, it's quite cathedral esque, as it strikes me, um, having had the privilege of worshiping there. Um, but you've just been having a, a bit of a refurbishment project. How how's that gone? Oh, it's gone so well. We're we're so grateful to be um, living in this time when we're able to do such a thing. Um, you know the the faithfulness and the stewardship of the people who came before us um, by purchasing this land. Uh, the the our our church has been on four different locations. Um, in the city, including where Ford's Theater is located, where President Lincoln oh, wow. was shot, um, but we are located now in a um, in a on a spot of land that we purchased in 1890, and that was a very forward-looking thing. Um, the stewardship of those people now have made it possible for us to do what we are doing to refurbish the buildings to put up a new community building that uh, will welcome our neighborhood and serve our neighbors and uh, even our sanctuary is getting a, a, a lovely uh, dusting off and uh, <laughs> some new coats of paint and no more appealing plaster. So we feel um, very, very grateful to be able to do this now. And we're very intentional that these buildings really need to be given away to our community for the sake of Christ. And we're very excited to be planning uh, what that will look like and how we will go about that. Mm. So it's uh, when I had the, the joy of worshiping uh, there in, in 2016, I, I was very struck um, by how it's in terms of the the worship in and the service is quite different to say what uh, our practice would be be here so you guys robe for the service as well I'd love that if my church would let me get away with that I would be robing oh, tomorrow we save so much on clothes we really yeah. do it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but have have so you mentioned the different churches that you've served have, have they all been of that ilk or have they all been quite I mean you're gradually moving eastward um uh, <laughs> have they all been similar or have they been quite different in their culture and setting oh so very different and okay. it hasn't that been fun um you know the the church that I served in Atlanta just before coming here we had two services and my husband Tim played bass guitar in the band in the the early service and uh, even the traditional service afterwards was much uh, more informal than the service that we have here now at First Baptist. But, you know, um, what all of that has helped me 
to appreciate is we, we often say that God is the God of all cultures. God is at home in every culture, and, and the gospel is true in every culture, including every liturgical culture. And so, you know, whether you are robed or in your jeans and um, flip-flops with a, you know, tambourine <laughs> in your hand or, um, you know, behind an organ or uh, at an electric piano, uh, same God, same good news. Uh, the, the important thing, I think, is not to let the culture become your identity. You know, if, if, if I mean, you really always want to point beyond your liturgical culture to the God that you worship and the Christ uh, who uh, gives life to mm. the world. And so that's always very, very important, uh, I think. Mm. And so given those different liturgical cultures, I wonder, have there been uh, sort of similarities uh, um, across those churches, any sort of threads that have run through um, all the different uh, ministries? Uh, uh, yes, yes. Um, I, uh, I would say that in all of the churches that I've served, whether very tiny, uh, very large, um, well, actually all of them have been fairly urban. Waco, Texas, um, you know, was uh, in a neighborhood, but San Francisco and Atlanta and Washington here are all very urban churches. And I would say one of the things that we've had in common is that um, we all realized together that um, that there was a need to take everything that we were doing, and this is really true, really, of all four churches, that everything that we were doing at the time uh, and everything that uh, defined us at the time, so our, um, you know, our buildings, our staff, our systems, our governance, our, um, our programs, our ministries, all of that, that, that you know, and, and sort of to spread it out on a big metaphorical table and over every piece of that to ask the, 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 the essential question, uh, is this serving the main thing? The main thing, of course, being, uh, is this helping us to know and love God? Is it helping us to befriend our neighbors, um, especially people who might feel uh, estranged from God? Is it helping us to grow up as believers? And is it helping us to serve our community and world in the way of Jesus? And and if whatever these things are that we're doing, if these things are actually helping us to do that, then by all means, let's bless it and maybe throw a little more money at it and engage more deeply in it and, and uh, thank God for it. And if it's not helping us do those things, and in fact, in some ways is a barrier to doing those things, then perhaps it's time to, to pause and bless it for what it might have meant 50 years ago, 100 years ago, and, uh, and let it go and see what God will bring instead. Um, and, and, and in every church I've served, there has come that moment when it was very necessary to do that. And um, some of those churches did uh, have done it better than others, yeah. more easily than others. Um, but I think in all of the churches we have made, we made progress uh, toward that end, and uh, that that was a good thing. Hmm. How have you? 
have you sustained your, yourself in the midst of that? Because that's not without, um, well, it takes a lot of energy and uh, capacity and, and thinking to, to help churches in that way. So you're, you're still going uh, after four churches and, and that process. Um, how how's, have you helped make sure that's the case? Well, I, I think, uh, well, that's such a very good question. And I think pastors who may be listening in today might be leaning in on, on, on whatever wisdom I have to offer. And I am afraid to disappoint. Um, what I will say is that it's been a lifelong journey for me, A, to discover um, myself as a leader and as a pastor and uh, every church has given me the opportunity to learn more about, not just about God and about ministry, but about myself. And truth is, David, I think I spent the first um, 25 years of ministry, maybe longer, trying to get hold of my own intrinsic anxiety about things. And um, you know, can I do this? Am I good enough? What will people think? And are people mad at me? And what, you know, I mean, I was a very anxious, uh, child and in many ways, um, have, have been an, an anxious adult in some ways, but thanks be to God. Um, and, uh, thanks be to, uh, some wonderful spiritual director directors and, a few therapists along the way, and even you know some massage therapists along the way you know, have been very helpful. I I think I've come to uh, to find a, a center within myself and a grounding that helps me not to worry so much about so much. <laughs> yeah. And um, I, as you know, have taken a deep dive into. Uh, contemplative practices, mm. ways that help to ground me in the heart of God and in the love of God and Christ. And this has been a major blessing in my life. And I think now I'm leading from a different place than I perhaps led uh, from before. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. Not to say I don't get flustered about things, but I, I find my, that I don't get derailed as, as often. And I think it's because I uh, am able to come back in the present moment to God who is closer than my last heartbeat and nearer than the last breath that I just took and uh, who is the ground that I stand on. And that's, um, that's a good thing. Amen to that. It certainly is. And here's to more good therapists and good massage therapists <laughs> along the way. Absolutely Amen, right. right. Um, so you mentioned about the, the contemplative uh, stuff there um, and you've been involved, is it the is it Shalem Institute, I think, um, involved yes. in um, uh, helping others explore this side of life as well? Yes, it's the Shalem Institute. Shalem, I apologize. Yeah. No, 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 it's fine. Everybody, I mean, because it's, most people go immediately to Shalom. Ah, and, okay. <laughs> um, the Shalem Institute. Um, and yes, I've, I've become very involved in that. Um, may, may I, will it derail things if I take half a second, get some water? No, go for it. Of course, if, that's totally are fine. You, are you editing this? Are you going Somebody to- will be, I won't. <laughs> But okay. somebody will. All right. so, 
Well, if everyone's welcome to come get my water with me, but let me. Yeah, no, you're all right. One sec. My mouth suddenly went dry and I don't have water here. Thank you. That's all right. That's no problem. Um, so tell us a bit about the, uh, the Shalem uh, Institute. What, what is that? What is that about? Well, the Shalem Institute came about in the 1970s, uh, was founded here in the Washington area by uh, some just the wisest of, of people who I think were uh, tired of um, church as usual. And, you know, in every generation, we, we find this, this longing for more and more of God and in the deep places of ourselves. And, and um, that was certainly true uh, with the founders of Shalane. And so through the years, this organization has been um, devoted to helping people uh, to go to <clears throat> a deeper place in themselves where they can be fully present with God, who is always so very present with us. Um, I mean, the, the, we, we cannot not be in the presence of God, and yet we lose sight of this because mm -hmm. of the busyness of life and the, uh, you know, the minutia of, of church life sometimes. And so uh, Shalane trains um, spiritual directors, for instance. Uh, the program that I lead uh, helps pastors of, of churches to uh, to become more grounded in contemplative ways, uh, contemplative prayer practices, and uh, they take them back to their congregation and often help their parishioners uh, to into that deeper place with God. And so, uh, it's a beautiful, um, beautiful organization, and I. Um, and finding in this season in my life that it has been a real game changer for me as a pastor. And so I'm very, very grateful to be connected with the Shalem Institute. Mm. Um, I wanted to ask as well today, um, about, so this, <coughs> the podcast will go out um, at the start of Advent. And I just wondered, um, has Advent been a, a, a significant season is it something the church marks particularly or uh, not really what what does advent in ministry mean to you oh my goodness yes advent fortunately all of the churches that i've served even the the church in waco texas texans uh you know um a lot of texas baptists would would not have celebrated advent but all the churches i've been a part of have done this uh even before i showed up and um, I, I, here in Washington, for instance, we suspend all business. We have no committee meetings. We have no congregational meetings. We have no business. It's, we, we, we give ourselves during the season of Advent to worship and uh, community and serving our, our mm -hmm. neighbors. And um, it's, it's just the loveliest season. We do mark... Uh, to, to mark Advent, of course, is to sort of put the brakes on the big Christmas celebration. Yeah. <clears throat> and so in our church, what that looks like is we usually manage to wait about two Sundays in Advent before yeah. we pick <laughs> out the first carol, you know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we have uh, a, um, 
a, a blue Christmas service mm-hmm. uh, for people who are grieving, who have lost uh, a loved one or a dream or a job or a baby or, you know, there are so many reasons why people grieve, especially hard during the holidays. And so we have a service, um, especially for people who are grieving. Um, and, you know, we we just um, let ourselves sit and sigh and long for God during that season. And um, I look forward to it every year. We look forward to it, especially this year in our church, because December 5th will be uh, the day after 21 months when we are going back to in-person worship. At first okay. Time. We have been laying for this for a very long time, and mm. um, partly because of COVID, but also because of our building uh, renovations and construction, we have not been able to return. And so we are all very excited to be uh, going back in just a few short weeks. Yeah, not long to go at all. Um, Julia, I have three more questions for you. Okay. Um, the first is, I just wondered, are there any particular writers, speakers, voices that are have been particularly helpful for you at the moment? Anyone you're particularly enjoying uh, soaking up their wisdom? Oh, love that question always. Um, so the, the, the authors that I'm reading most at the moment all have to do with uh, what I'm doing with the Shalem Institute. So it's a fairly narrow um, band of, of, of writers uh, right now. It's all the contemplatives. And so uh, Richard Rohr, I'm, I'm reading, uh, especially love his book, The Universal Christ, uh, and his podcast, Everything Belongs, have been so very helpful for me in my own thinking. Uh, Cynthia Bourgeau, brilliant contemplative, cannot get enough of her. John Philip Newell uh, from your oh, side yeah. of the pond up in Scotland. Uh, Thomas Keating, who passed away not too long ago. Uh, the Buddhist, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh. I, I love his writing um, and, uh, Thomas Merton, uh, would be another, then there, I mean, there are a few contemporaries. I love, uh, Nadia Bowles Weber is someone I always love to, uh, to read and see what she's up to. And Kate Bowler. Are you familiar with Kate Bowler? She, uh, yeah, I, I haven't read the new book. I read the previous one. Yes. Um, um, yeah. And, and quite a few folks in the ch- our church book group did it. The oh, first book. Yeah. It was yeah. great. She's wonderful. I had the the great fortune of hearing her in person here in Washington about a month ago. Uh-huh. Uh, she was um, on a book tour with with her new book called uh, "No Cure for Being Human" and other things I need to hear. And uh, just truly wonderful. So I I love Kate. Um, and and so those those are a few that that come to mind. Mm. Okay. Well, we we finish all our chats on our something to declare podcast by asking our friends two questions Uh, and i guess most of the people answering this are doing so in a a uk context so you can either take it as talking to us in a uk context or you can take it as speaking to baptists where you are or indeed in any other way you like but the first is if you had one thing to declare to the union to the baptist movement in this moment what would it be Yeah, that I, I really love that question. It was actually very hard for yes. me. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I think, David, that 
what I would declare would be the same kind of thing I would declare to um, my own uh, Baptist tribe here over in the U.S. And, and that would be, I would declare uh, that to uh, hitch our wagon to love and to, uh, to lean in with everything we are uh, to the greatness and the breadth and depth of, of God uh, really are our saving hope. You know, for me, everything boils down to love. I mean, that is God's name. That is God's essence, God's character. And so um, maybe it's because I think Baptists have a tendency to make things very, very complicated. We are a contentious people. Let's be honest. <laughs> but if we can, if we can hitch our wagon to love and lean into the the breadth and depth and height of of the reality of God, I, I think we'll be okay. So that um, that's what I would declare. And if you think if you think Baptists have one thing to declare to the world in this moment, what would that be? Very same thing. Uh, the the essence of God is a love that would will blow our minds if we could ever grasp the 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 depth of it, and um, and that uh, you know the God who was. Um, moving over the waters of the deep but from the very beginning um, had such tender, loving purpose for this world. And that's the God we know and love. And I think that's the God we declare to the world, the God made visible in Christ. And um, so that that would be my my response to both those questions. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much for coming and sharing with us on the podcast today. We really appreciate it. Julie, thank you. Always so lovely to be with you, David. Blessings on you and all the good people at Shubriness. Um, <laughs> I, I, I love Shubriness, as you say it, yes, and Fort Bay Baptist Church. A beautiful people. They are, they are a good bunch. They're a good bunch. So, Beth, what did you make of that? Oh, so interesting, isn't it? And just kind of hearing about Baptist life in a different cultural environment and, and how that works over there and the kind of bits that have that resonance that sounds so similar to us and the bits that feel quite different. Um, I think um, the thing, the standout thing that she said is kind of the thing that I pick out of the conversation was um, you, you were talking in the early on about kind of why um introducing yourself as baptists and and kind of this you know what makes you a baptist thing and and she talked about why she remains a baptist not why she is a baptist but why she remains a baptist and i thought um i thought that was uh that kind of for me picked up a lot of the conversations i feel like i have at the moment is not just whether you want to become this thing but whether you want to remain this thing 
um, and the kind of nature of covenant, isn't it, that you you don't make a one time decision for something. You make a kind of lifelong decision to keep making the decision to be something. Um, and I thought that for a lot of us, probably in Baptist life happens a lot. Do we still want to be Baptist? Do we still want to be in this union? Um, and or and, and whether are those things similar or different? Because it's interesting, isn't it, that she's not in this union. But she's a Baptist and kind of, yeah, mm. what does it mean to kind of choose to be a Baptist? What does it mean to choose to be in relationship with groups of people? So that was the kind of flight of thought it took me off on. Yeah, as you say, I think it is a conversation that, you know, any group of ministers, somebody ends up drawing you towards at some point. And I think there are certain certain issues and certain cultures and certain things that just uh push different buttons for for each of us i guess um for me you know this is my tribe and and you you say it's an ongoing decision though it is um not always easy Hmm. not always easy so yeah i liked the language of why why julie remains uh, a baptist and i think you know with the union um is a challenge isn't it sometimes the majority view and where's the minority and the kind of prophetic voice and the space held for something in a majority view um and kind of where does that become something that harms rather than helps us as baptists and and i think um you know in kind of national baptist life as we kind of you know it happens in local church i think as well but kind of as it as it kind of grows into national baptist life i think you know how do we how do we walk together with people who are very different, but not only who are very different, but potentially on to such a level that we might think they are doing something that, you know, we completely disagree with um, or asking us not to do something that we think is, mm. is justice. Um, and, you know, we kind of to name the elephant in the room, human sexuality is, is having that conversation at the moment, isn't it? Um, but I think um, I think it's true for other issues as well. I think there's something about how we read yes. scripture that that is there and, a little bit how we do mission and worship is sort of in there too but um it seems to be sexuality that holds the conversation at the moment and I I just think yeah for me it kind of like having these conversations about kind of well how do we enable people to um you know to to make sure people have space to be themselves to 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 live authentically uh to an expression of the gospel whilst not harming other people who think differently and, and kind of just yeah it's kind of challenge of yeah how do we get that right and I'm I'm still trying to work that out really um obviously I think there is a right answer but I walk in a slightly minority view on that so I kind of um yeah kind of holding out you know yeah how do we do that right how do we do that well as Baptists and and yeah what does that mean for us in union with each other um it's a real challenge it is a real challenge I think it's a real opportunity though as well I think there is lots of good things that could come from 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 wrestling with that um but the challenge yeah that involves a, a commitment to one another that's mm-hmm. beyond who agrees with me and and i think that is a real real challenge and one of the things i particularly picked up on uh, talking to to julie as well was how the four churches that she's led um gradually working her way eastwards uh, across the state now on the east coast hey maybe you know uh, there'll be an international flavor uh, post uh, dc but she spoke about how god is at home 
in every liturgical culture. And I loved that. Um, you know, so the churches that Julie's been in have, have been very different. And the church that she's in now is, is more liturgical, is more sort of cathedral-esque in some ways. Um, and that resonated with me because I, I've always felt very at home in different liturgical cultures. I'm very happy in a sort of big C charismatic setting, but equally I'm very happy at Evensong at Winchester Cathedral. Um, I, th I think there's something about churches being authentically themselves, which is almost more important than the structure and form. Um, but I, I, that resonates. <laughs> Am, right? Am I allowed to say that? I don't, that... Um, I'm not sure I agree. <laughs> no, well, that's okay. Um, but I, I like this idea that God's at home in every liturgical culture. I, I thought it was, I thought it was a lovely comment. I think, um, I think it was a good challenge for me because I'm quite snobby about worship and I find it very hard to sit in most people's worship, to be honest. Um, mm -hmm. I think maybe that happens to a lot of us who are ordained and kind of end up getting very used to leading church in a particular way and to the style that we like and not having to cope with other people's versions of that. But, um, I, um, I think, yeah, I, I find some types of worship quite like uh, potentially boring or um, uninspiring. And I know that's not it, right? We're not, we don't just worship in a way because we're like, you know, it's not, it's not meant to be about what I get out of it in that kind of selfish way. But at the same time, I think sometimes I think things, oh gosh, why are you saying that? That's, I think that's almost dangerous actually. And, and what view are you giving of of God's relationship with humanity when you say those things or you labor that point or you leave people with that message. And um, yeah, and I, I find I find that quite challenging. But yeah, I have to say, I'm, I'm not a sitting in charismatic worship for 35 minutes kind of a girl, um, partly because I'm not very musical. So for me, that just mm. sort of doesn't really work for who I am. I really like words. Um, so the content of the songs really matters to me rather than the musicality of the songs, because I can't really sing. Um, so I can kind of, you know, I can, I quite enjoy a few songs, but like when it starts to be like a, a block, that doesn't, yeah. So I do think, I do think there is, um, I think what I uh, what I like in, in every expression of lit liturgy, and I I've been up and down the candle a few times, is um, when people do it very intentionally and carefully. Because I think you can be, you can experience a very kind of like high Anglo Catholic style of worship that's so carefully done and takes people mm. on such a, a very gentle and beautiful journey, um, and you experience the kind of God so in this kind of otherness and old language and big symbolism and kind of you know maybe the silence as well um and you can have but you can have the same thing absolutely in a kind of contemporary charismatic feel too like I think it's about I think it's about I think it's about being really careful and intentional as people lead worship and I really appreciate those people who put that effort in um yeah but I do think yeah I'm not sure I'm not sure I'd agree uh I don't know. I guess I come back to the bit in scripture where God says, um, you know, what do I want from worship actually? And ultimately becomes this language about justice. So I think if worship is just, then it's of God. Maybe that's the right way of putting it. Yeah. But that um, churches could express that very differently. Yes. And still be committed to justice, for example. 
Yes, although oh. what they think justice is might be shaped by what they think worship ah, is, because okay, what we pray for, we believe, right? So well, it's formational. Okay. Oh, interesting. I shall continue to ponder. <laughs> um, perhaps uh, coming out of both of these chats was uh, Judy said, um, I think towards the end, about how Baptists are a contentious people, I think was the phrase. And I, I thought, well, you know, that's resonates too. Given <laughs> that, <laughs> I, I, I think we are. I think we are a contentious people. There's something about being part of the free church, the dissenting tradition, perhaps, um, that leads us more neatly into that space. I, I loved I loved the line that she used about uh, there are free worshippers and no other kind. So yeah. perhaps, you know, thinking about kind of how how God is at home in every liturgical space and how how that can always be true. I think it's because it's this freedom of us to to worship God um, that God wants. Right. God doesn't mm. ever compel us or force us. That would be abuse. So it's always, always that God invites us. Um, so I think that's I think that's really exciting. Absolutely. Was there anything else that you had particularly noted down or wanted to pick up? Oh, that's a challenge for my notes. Wait, sorry, <laughs> sprung that question on you. I um, I I think I, I say this every time. I just can't get over her tone. Like I feel like I think with all our Baptists that we've had on so far, um, that it's not just what they say; it's how they say it. Mm. Um. And I think with her, that really also, again, was very true, that she just talks about her community so lovingly. I um, I was really fascinated by the political history of her church yeah. and how she, she'd really thought about and exegeted her community and she really knew her people. And that, um, but it wasn't that she knew them, like, factually. It was the way she loved them, you know. She really clearly um, had had lived life with them so fully so when all the kind of conversations around uh race that they were having and all those things that she'd really like she clearly really lived it and therefore the way she spoke about it was so um it was kind it was informed it was understanding and it was just this yeah this kind of um this kind of compassionate wise style with which she reflected on her people and on Baptist life in general in the States and um yeah it was just really fascinating and lovely and very inspiring isn't it to think that she's you know that not only she liked that but I think all of our Baptists so far have been really really kind of expressed that actually that that people really have bring a character with them as well as what they say you get that kind of echo of something divine in there which is really lovely absolutely yeah and I think in many ways that's part of what we're trying to do in the podcast isn't it where there are people like this out there that just mm -hmm. you're glad they're there and they bring something and they add something and you say there is echoes of the divine in in what they're doing and the way in which they're doing it and we love hearing their stories and we love talking uh, with these people and they bless us and it makes us glad to share a movement with them yes um, why do we remain a baptist why do we, yeah <laughs> this this is why <laughs> yeah because these people are baptist too and yeah, yeah i want to be yeah. in the same tribe as them yeah, yeah there's absolutely. definitely something of that in there okay well we're coming back in the new year 
with season two and it's going to be good. Um, and we will be, as we did in season one, finishing each session with a blessing. Yeah. But we're not going to attempt to say it together. No, because it doesn't work. <laughs> it really, really didn't work. Um, but I think we do have a blessing, don't we, for uh, this season. And, and yeah. the blessing for this season is taken from uh, gathering up the crumbs, celebrating a century of accredited, ordained Baptist women in ministry in the UK, an excellent resource that I commend to all our listeners if they've not already got a copy. And in there is a blessing written by Claire Hooper that we're going to use for... I mean, I know this is not season two yet. This is the Advent special, but I think we'll use the blessing for, for season two. So uh, we'll offer the blessing and then uh, that'll be the end of, of this particular Advent special. Okay. May you see opportunities to bring hope, healing and peace where others do not. May you have the courage to speak up for those that get overlooked. May you be aware of God's spirit at work in the words you speak, the safe spaces you create and the relationships that you build. You are loved by God. May those that you encounter know that they are loved too. Amen. Amen. I think that's a very appropriately handy. Yeah, absolutely right. Well, bless you, Beth. Uh, great to share this time with you and uh, look forward to catching up for season two. Absolutely. See you soon, everyone. Bye.